You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Welcome to the Shrimp and Sivret Show, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Hey, hey, what do you say? Danny Sivret, how you doing, buddy? Good, Bob. How's it going? It's good, man. Good to see you this week on the Shrimp and Sivret Show, episode number four. How was your week last week? Give me the scoop. What were you up to? What'd you get into? Did you get some golf in? How the other things going there in London. Yeah, I, I uh, haven't done anything uh, on ice yet. I've just been sort of looking for ice to to grab for some of the young kids to develop uh, prior to their uh, training camps. But I did uh, sneak in a couple rounds of golf. Uh, you'll be happy. I was an 81 hey. on Wednesday and then an 80 on Thursday. It's coming down. I'm getting closer to you, buddy. What about you? I don't know. I don't know if I want that or not, buddy, because we're partnering up. I need you sandbagging a little bit. You know, if we're going to take on I can juice my cap a little. Just Corey Junior, Corey Sivret, call him Junior, and Drew Dowdy. We have a revenge match against these two. Uh, so I don't know if I really want you getting that. I want you, you know, we want to get some some okay. candy off these boys. Yeah, yeah, I'll know? three putt a little. I'll three putt a little. I remember the last time we played these boys. We, Danny and I, we, I actually, I was down in Florida and I flew up to play in the member guest, and uh, we, we, we were, I, I take full credit. I was doing some serious shit talking. And uh, <laughs> doubts and junior ended up having us. What were they? They had us like down, down seven on the front nine. We were, we were out. We were totally. Yeah. We and were they, out. and they, they can chirp too, which is the yeah. worst part about it. Like they're witty. They were pretty, you know, we, we got a couple old guys were tails between our legs. We took the, I mean, we took the loss. All right. Though. Yeah. I mean, we didn't, wasn't too bad, but their chemistry is good. I think we have good chemistry, but they're, they're always together. They're like Batman and Robin out there, everything they do. Right. So we maybe need to, bring you over from Latvia and get, get, get our chemistry back half all the QBD or something like that. But let's go, buddy. Where are you, where are you playing at these days? Where, where's your home course? Well, uh, London hunt club, uh, where our member guest was, I've just played there Wednesday, Thursday, the course is in pretty good shape. We had some rain, uh, last little while. Uh, so a lot of the courses were, were fairly wet. Our courses got pretty good drainage and built on sand. So, uh, it was, uh, it was good to get out there and, uh, walk it around a little. I was surprised at uh, my my scoring so far. Usually, I I peak you know in mid July or something like that. But I've only played uh, three rounds, 84, 81, 80. So trending the right way. But uh, like you said, as we get uh, closer to our match, I'll have to make sure I throw in a couple nineties there to get juice up my cap. That a boy. I appreciate that guy. Get that what, going. What about you? You hitting many balls yet, or what? You watch the PJ? Uh, it's still a little cold. It's still a little cold here right now. So the golf is on. It's on ice. I'm not. I'm not willing to go out there and freeze my ass off, to be honest with you, right now. But uh, yeah, I know I, I'm gonna 
got a project coming out, an NFT project. I've been pretty focused on that and organizing all this uh, content for this project. So this uh, Space Force Hockey is the name of the project we're launching it. So I've been really focused on that. And I've had some uh, three skates, which have been great. The kids are starting to progress, which is awesome. Uh, we started these, these Monday skates uh, about a month and a half ago. So I'm really starting to see the results in the kids. They look really good. The drills were running, you know, their footwork and stuff. So it's gratifying. Love it. And, you know, when I started the sessions out, I said, give me time and I'll show you what we can do. And the kids are starting to progress. So it, it's fun to watch. Um, yeah, that's, that's about it. No golf for me, focus on the hockey projects. And I did watch yesterday it was an awesome day. Got a chance to have some, some early games for me, you know, uh, the eight thirty. Yeah, it was eight thirty yeah. our time here in Latvia. And then uh, what was the next game? The next game was, I want to say it would have been 10:30 for you. We were, we, we had a we had a 1:30 and a 3:30 Eastern puck drop on a, on Sunday. Yeah. So that was nice and then I tried and then I had the golf in between uh Carolina and uh the Rangers game to watch the game. I I was trying my my hardest to stay up to watch the Oilers game. I just wasn't going to go to bed cuz the skate I had um this morning was at 6:15 in the morning so I figured just watch the Oilers game go right to the rink I'll fire it up <laughs> and I wind up passing out at like 3:30 so I didn't get a chance to make it to the to the game but um yeah my week's been pretty packed and it's it's I've been excited to get back on this podcast with you and and talk some hockey talk some shop and um but before we get there I do want to talk about the PGA event and you know as just athletes like you got to really feel for this this Mito guy uh I mean what what would your take on that you yeah, young, uh, young kid. I mean, I think that was just the nerves taking over. I think just, you know, these pros, they hit so many balls over and over and over again, that it's just so repetitive that it's almost automatic. Right. And you could see in his swing, I'm no swing guru, obviously, you know that Rob, but, um, <laughs> I know swing guru, but, but he looked really quick, like out of sort sort of. Right. And I think that's just nerves getting to you knowing that, okay, I make par, I win this thing. Right. And you know how hard it is to sort of stand up there. You know, I know to try to hit a ball where you're like, Hey, I did, this got to go in the middle, right? You put so much pressure on yourself, your brains, you know, probably thinking about everything. Uh, and it's not focusing on exactly what you need it to be doing. And unfortunately he fell in water and couldn't recover from there. But yeah, it was, I think that was his first PGA tournament. He's, he's been pretty, he's a pretty good ball striker. Um, and, and I think, you know, he's, he's going to be a, a player who wins a lot of tournaments. It's just unfortunate that, uh, you know, we, we usually say you have to fail to succeed. And unfortunately he, he had to do that on, on uh, the 72nd yeah. hole. Felt bad for him. Felt terrible for him. Afterwards, they showed him in the 10, his head was in his, I mean, just devastated. That's, uh, that's brutal. I felt, felt horrible for him. That sucks. At last 18th hole. You know, the guy, the, the announcer's always, hindsight's always twenty twenty. you know, even doing the coaching stuff now with people's video, you always, you always can say that, you know, should have, should have, would have, should have, could have, but, you know, it didn't make sense on the 18th hole. I don't know why he had driver in his hand, really. Didn't need to go for it, but anyways, I thought it was worth bringing it up, talking about it. It was, uh, it was actually, for me, it was exciting because it got more, that's why I was trying to get my gap, right? Like I had like an hour and a half to kill from the Carolina game to, the Oilers game, they had some golf, and then the golf started winding down. It looked like that guy was going to win. I was like, man, I wish there was a playoff, and then I got my wish. So <laughs> it was great, great for me. But, well, you, and you said you were going to try to pull an all-nighter. It sounds like you're somewhat like the Florida Panthers recently just came out that they were caught out in Tampa. What's I don't your, know, man. What's your take there? One of those things where you try to go back to what worked during the season, you know? You know, maybe it's 
maybe that's it. Maybe they try to clean up their act for the, for the playoffs and they realize it, it wasn't working and uh, go back to the well. Maybe that's, maybe that was what so, it was. So the, the, the machine. I don't know if it's, I mean, you don't know if it's true or not, but a couple of the players were caught out at a adult club late night uh, in Tampa. But um, you know, like, you know, in the, in the season, sometimes you go through, you know, like lulls and, and, you know, you're on a losing streak or something. And sometimes it, it is good to just, like we just said about golf, take your, take your brain out of it. You know, you think so hard to, to try to do well that maybe it takes a, an afternoon at a pub, the whole team and sort of clearing your heads. And then you end up coming back and uh, usually it, things turn around, but playoffs maybe is a different time to, to try that. I don't know. Yeah. There's not, I don't think there's going to be anybody that's going to accept that and think it's okay. You know, this is such a window. It's a small window to focus. Uh, I could say from our, from our experience, we didn't do it in that manner. But we, we, the thing is we got our job done. We swept teams. And then we, you know, in London, we had 10 days before the next series. So we kind of calculated those days and had some fun and then shut it off and got back to work. But in this scenario, the middle, like middle of a round, it's bananas. It's, it doesn't make any sense. Do you, this do is you true. Think, yeah. You, I mean, we don't, and we don't know who, if it is true or which players, if they're, you know, maybe the black aces or actual yeah. rostered players, but do, do you think that sort of shows like the frustration in, in what's going on in Florida? They're uh, the number one team in the regular season. They made some good pickups at the deadline, um, you know, have an opportunity to, to win or at least get to the finals again, like uh, they had years ago, but I don't know, maybe, maybe they're, you know, they're, they're like, you know what, this is, uh, we can't do anything. I, this is what we're going to do. And I don't know, like, yeah. it would be I'm a speculating, big sign of immaturity, really. Like that's, that's a leadership thing. And that's, that, that'd be tough if that's the case. Right. Um, you don't bail out because you never give up. You never quit. And that's a sign of that to your point, you know, if they're frustration, watching the series too, it, it does seem that way. Uh, it seems a little out of sorts and it's an execution thing. I mean, Tampa's playing very well. It's what, you know, they are playing very well. They got some very good players, very deep. Florida's PP is so dry too. It's awful. It's, it's so dry right now. Execution rate. And you know, we're going to get a chance today to, and I'm going to pull up some clips for that and show what I saw. There's, there's one trend to it that I found. That's what the clip's going to be about today. But watching the other, the full, the full package of the clips, the execution's horrible. And that's, I mean, that's my, I guess, that's not my opinion, watching the clips. The passes are off. you got a guy wind up for a one-timer. Everything's coming on his back foot. I used to do that to Dennis Weidman back in the London days because he used to take every single time he gave it to me, he used to shoot it, but not in the playoffs. In the playoffs, you put it in the wheelhouse. You make sure you secure that puck, give the guy shooting the puck the best opportunity. You're watching these little, little things like that in this series. The execution's down. And then if there's a story coming out like this, like that's an unfocused group. They're not ready for the stage. I talked about it before the series. I thought they had a lot going for them. I totally flipped my opinion. Uh, yeah. Sloppy. They're not there. They're they're far off. And I think, I don't think, you know, we talk about that fail before you succeed. That's failing, like bringing your best to the table and not having it be enough. And then learning that there's another gear. That's where you can learn from something like that, from this kind of loss. But coming to the table unprepared, unready, you know, unprepared and, and sort of laying down in the middle of the series, that's a little bit different. That's not the same as 
like the Oilers stories from the eighties, when they walked by the Islanders locker room, everybody's got bags. They thought everybody was going to be popping champagne and going crazy. Everybody's in the locker room, iced up and banged up. And, and cause the Islanders gave it everything they had. That's, that's a different thing. The Oilers brought what they had. And Tampa's like, to your point, Tampa's been blocking a lot of shots. Like they, they, I think they got a pretty good scare in Toronto. There was a few games in that series that they didn't really show up. um, And they ended up coming out obviously of the series uh, victors, but they just seem to have everything going like Vasilevsky's back again. Um, They're, they're short up front. Uh, Guys are picking it up. Paul's playing well. Perry obviously is getting a bigger role playing well. All their D are uh, efficient, playing hard, blocking shots. Like there's, Charnik, Charnik is standing out to me as like that heart and soul. He's eating pucks. He's playing super tough hockey. He's really scored a good one. Scored a good yeah. one the other day. Scored a nice goal. So their pieces are. And then did you see that? I think it was game two. Correct me if I'm wrong, but they had to start it off in warmups. Pairs, <laughs> pairs ripped one off the crossbar off his own head, and then Charnik <laughs> took one in the face, and then like two or three other guys. There was like a, a one point Stamkos was coming out of the locker room. Another guy was going in. They were all from block shots and eating pucks. It was, I mean, it's comical because we're not eating those pucks, but I thought it was, first of all, a sign of like the sacrifice and dedication that they got. But it was also humorous that it started off with Paris <laughs> beaming himself in the head with a puck. <laughs> Would have been a muffin though. It shouldn't have been that high. It wasn't a, it was a muffin too. It just hit the bar right. Like boom, hit him right in the side of the head. No, but he's been, he's been good. Uh, you know, since, uh, since his role has been more elevated, right? Like they're, they're playing, I think 70, 11 forwards uh, with point being out, giving him some more room on, uh, the right side. And I think his numbers uh, minutes have gone up and I think he scored almost every game yeah. since that's, that's happened. Right. So he's back to sort of the, the Corey Perry, we know playing uh, hard playoff hockey, but you know, it's, they look like a team that's sort of poised and possessed to, to, to make a long run again. It'll just be interesting to see uh, how far they can go. But they got that. They got, they had so much depth and thinking another, another pickup for that. Uh, you know, who's playing a big factor, maybe not big on the points, but he seems to be there every night. And the guy that you know well is, is Patty Maroon. And he's, he's been well there, been playing very good hockey for him in the sense of the role player and depth. Um, you know, go down the list of guys, Nick Paul, we talked about him before, but he's, he's playing unbelievable. Um, and I think, I think I want to hear, you got a story about Patty Maroon. You want to <laughs> tell us this? Story? Just one? Just one. <laughs> I'm sure there's a, there's a whole chest full, but I think I want to hear this story about uh, the trade, the trade story with Patty. Well, uh, first, first one, Patty's a, a great person, great character. Uh, you can see uh, it, the charisma he has. Uh, the players in the dressing room love him. Um, I remember uh, we were, this isn't the, the trade story. I'll get a little more sentimental one first out of the way before I That's nice. tell nice. this. Yeah. Tell the trade story, but I remember uh, he had just left Edmonton, had a good season in Edmonton and was looking for uh, a contract as a free agent. And I remember sitting on my couch and get a phone call from him and he just sort of wanted to, you know, talk hockey and air some things out, like, you know, get things off his chest. And I remember him sort of saying like, he's looking for more, but nothing's out there right now. Like the market's not what he wants it to be. Right. And sort of laid out his options. And I just remember him saying like, one of them is St. Louis. And I'm like, dude, why don't you do that? Like, you, like we're retired at the time I'm retired. Like you, you, it's hard to make millions of dollars outside of hockey. Right. Yeah. And especially being a hockey player that doesn't have a university degree or anything like that. So 
I just said to him, I remember saying like, look, dude, I remember playing with him uh, when he had his son, Anthony and, and, and it obviously you have a, a daughter, I have kids as well. It mean the world to you. Right. So I just remember saying to him like, dude, you can be at home playing and your kid is going to school wearing your Jersey that your dad plays in the NHL. Like how cool could, would that be? You know what I mean? Like imagine little Pat Maroon at the age of 10 or 12 and you go home every night to your dad, who's playing in the NHL on your hometown team. You know what I mean? Like it, like unbelievable opportunity. And uh, he ended up uh, choosing that. And obviously ended up scoring a huge goal for them to advance. And then they end up winning a Stanley cup, like almost Cinderella like story, but um, yeah, no, I, I have a lot of time for, for Patty. He's a great, uh, a great guy. We were actually together in Philadelphia with, with the Phantoms. Uh, he was drafted by Philly. I was traded uh, to Philadelphia from Edmonton and uh, he was a, he had played in London. So I, I knew him from watching him with, with the Knights big body, uh, grew up playing roller hockey, great hands, a um, little bit heavier footed, like a, plays a heavy game, would fight. And, uh, and I remember him being on, on our power play. I'm like, this guy's so good down low, right? Like net front, big body, recovers poxy, he protects it down, down low really well. Uh, he's a big part of, of uh, like when I'm on the ice on a, on a power play, I'm like, that's, you know, puck recoveries are massive. Right. Yeah. So we had a, we had a pretty good year. We had some, uh, fun times and, and then, uh, I, I went into free, I had a pretty good year with, uh, Philadelphia and I, I got hurt. Uh, so I ended up, um, they didn't resign me in the off season. And so I ended up signing in Anaheim. So signed in Anaheim. I started the year in your backyard in Syracuse. And yeah, I think the spaghetti factory, is that still? Yes. Spaghetti factory is unbelievable. So, so uh, I I end up, I end up starting in, in Syracuse in the minors for, for Anaheim. And we're about, I think nine or 10 games in, or maybe not even, yeah, nine or 10 games in. And again, I get a phone call from Patty and he's like, uh, he's like, Hey, I'm, uh, I'm done. My career's done. And he's like all emotional and, you know, big teddy bear. I'm like, what, what do you mean you're done? Like, he's like, man, I'm done. Like Philly sent me home. I look and I'm like looking up his stats. I think he played, I don't know, six games had 10 points or something way above everyone else. And I'm thinking like, what happened here? Like, what do you mean you're going home? He's like, man, I'm, I'm at my house in St. Louis. Like they sent me home. Like I'm on my couch. And I'm like, are you kidding me? So I end up I'm like, okay, let me see if I can help. Right. So I end up calling, uh, David McNabb, the assistant GM at the time with the ducks. I think he's senior VP or something with the ducks now, but usually the assistant GM is the one that takes control of the AHL team, right. As a serving as a GM. So I call him up. Um, I'm new to the organization, but I'm like, you know what, there's an opportunity here to get this guy. He's a good player. Right. So I go to bat for Patty, right. I, I, you know, I say, you know, he's somehow has a bad reputation. It's not deserving. He's a good character guy. The guys love him in the room, uh, competes like hell. Like, as you can see now in the NHL, like guys love him. He's on, you know, anytime the camera's on him, he's always doing something either to irritate or he's a a very serviceable player in the NHL. But at the time, he's not even good enough to play in the A, right? So I end up calling David McNad. We have a good conversation. I just sort of said like, man, this guy's at home. Like 
Philly said enough where you're done, just go home. Like you can get him, you know, he it's, and, and I'm backing him saying he's a good player. So this process goes on for a little while and, and Patty's keeping me in the loop, you know, via his, his agent, he's texting me, you know, man, I, I, I think Anaheim's talking to him and I'm like, that's awesome. Like we could use you, right? Like I'm playing in the minors. So I want to, I want to win. And I think bringing him in is going to help our teams. Right. So I'm in my head, I'm like, let's like get this guy here. Like not, you know, selfishly, I'm thinking I, I want this guy on our team to make our power play better. Right. <laughs> and, yeah. And um, so we're obviously we're, it's probably two weeks in and, and then he, uh, I remember him, he, he texts me and he's like, Hey man, I, I think it's done. I think, I think I'm coming. And I'm like, for real? He's like, yeah, man, I think I'm coming to the docks. So I'm like, like, this is sick, right? So I go to, at the time I'm rooming with Brett Festerling. Uh, in the, I don't, so in the minors, you usually share a, a, an apartment just because uh, everyone's, no one has a family and you're, you know, your younger guys are cutting costs in house. So I was, I'm sharing a, a condo with, with Brett Festerling and uh, go to bed, wake up in the morning to my blackberry curve or pearl or something <laughs> world edition i don't know which one i had but wake up to it and i it's an incoming call from paul holmgren like i'm one of those guys that saves every number in my phone like if you've messaged me called me whatever it's saved right paul holmgren philadelphia flyers and his number I'm like hello he's like hey danny it's paul holmgren uh we just traded for you and i'm like no way. In my head, I'm like, this is not real. And I'm like, for Patty? He's like, yeah, we traded you for Patty Marone. And I was like, and he's like, so, you know, <laughs> no I'll see you. I'll see you. And I'll see you tomorrow or whatever. And in my head, I'm like, I just fucking orchestrated my own trade. Yeah. Like, shut yourself with the foot. I just, I just traded myself. Right. So that's oh. my, my Patty Maroon story with, um, uh, trading, essentially trading myself for him, which I went back to Philly, who, didn't resign me and then traded an asset for me, whether they didn't want Patty and didn't want me. Wait, to say me, that but... again. Wait, how did that say that again? They well, won? They, they didn't resign you. No, they didn't. Re they, so I, I had an opportunity to resign with Philly and they yeah. opted not to. Yeah. And then, so I walked and went and signed in Anaheim. Like I didn't yeah. sign a one way or, or anything. I just said, you know, your standard two way contract. And then 10 games into the, well, at the time it was probably like 18, 20 games that had gone by, but I essentially traded myself back to, to Philly for Patty. So they got rid of, a, so they could have got you just to sign you back. And you said they got rid of a piece for you. So they ended up, you know, made no sense. 20 games in what changed, you know, what, what changed? You, I don't, Did you I don't change? know. Like what maybe, changed in your game over? I know. I, uh, I haven't talked summer to anyone in 20 Anaheim. Games. I haven't talked to anyone in Anaheim since then, but I was like, guys, really? Like I'm trying to help the team and you're, shipping me out for what I think is going to help our team. Right. Yeah. But anyways, it was, it's funny, sort of funny story because I don't know how, how often guys have actually orchestrated their own trade. Like here, I'm so happy for Patty texting me like, man, I'm coming. Like it's, it's a, it's a pretty much a done deal. We're just figuring out the particulars. Then I wake up to a Paul Holmgren phone call. Like, Hey Danny, welcome back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Welcome. But, I'm sure you felt really welcome. Uh, yeah, there's that. So I don't know if there's any other players that have orchestrated their own trade, but I'm not sure many guys, to be honest with you, Danny would do what you did. Most most people are are you know I could say it through my experience, pretty self 
centered and, and wouldn't really do that for anybody else. So it's, it's honorable what you did for Patty, which is great. It says a lot about your character, but there's not a lot of guys that would do that. I've, I've actually gotten to a point in my career. I've asked someone to do it for me. It took a lot of swallowing, a lot of pride and asked someone and it was uh, way out far-fetched to be done. So it's amazing that you did that for Patty and you probably did kickstart his career back into, into shape. Yeah. To be honest I mean, with you, you know, that story getting uh, him going there and <laughs> melting on his couch I mean, he's playing all the time right now, and he's still a bit heavy. So I can't imagine you're on the couch if you could have. Well, you figure ever come back. You figure three three Stanley Cup wins, like maybe maybe toss me an invite to one of the parties. Yeah, yeah. Like so, maybe if he gets four in a row, you know, I know he's got my number. So, Patty, (laughs) yeah, therapy's out, buddy. You got what you needed. (laughs) Just go ahead and graduate on to the Stanley Cups. So, anybody else out there has got issues? Call Danny Sabret. You want to make (laughs) no? I think. I think like, I think we've touched on it also in, in a previous episode about just caring for your teammates too. Right. Like, I think yeah. if you're a, you know, a, a good guy cares for one another, you things good things will eventually happen. You, like you said, there's, there are some players that you've come along or come through and, you know, whether they're selfish or deemed selfish and uh, you know, sometimes they get things in the short term that maybe you don't. And, uh, and then I, I guess maybe the other thing, uh, this isn't my bringing it to the table aspect, but just the missing misunderstanding of a, of a player, maybe. Right. Like I, I know I, I got it throughout my career. Like when we were playing together in, in Edmonton or in uh, the minors in Edmonton. Um, and Spring I know you, Vegas. yeah, I know you got it uh, a little bit as well. And like, and, and Patty would have gotten, got it in Philly, right. Where, you know, they've sort of given up on him, whether it's, they don't know how to connect with him or, but, or they're trying to change him into a player. He's not, which, you know, maybe that was an, an issue with, with coaches to you. Like you have a skill set. allow the player to excel with their own skill set. Don't try to convert them into a player that they're not, you know, like, yes, there's, there's elements to add to a player to help him succeed, but don't just try to strip him down to a blank canvas and be like, this is how you need to play. Like I've gotten here somehow. Right. So let me shine my skill and creativity or whatever talents and abilities that you bring through and complement it. Right. Don't, don't just, uh, this guy doesn't fit our mold. So I, you know, and, and you can almost go into a, a, a bit of a tangent on, you know, the, the cane issue. Like I know he had some off ice, issues um in in well, not in san antonio or sorry uh in san jose but uh here's a guy that is in edmonton he can play up to speed with mcdavid and dry sidle he plays hard he's a good player like he's showing that he deserves to play in the nhl but at, at some point it was like you know what i'm he's not good enough for us right so it's it's an interesting take on how you know, whether coaches or organizations have, and, and his maybe is a little different story, but uh, I know for myself and for you, you can probably elaborate on it a little more for yourself or, or for me, but I, I just feel that there's at times, you know, you're dealing with 25 different bodies and characters and, and skill sets, and not everyone can be molded out of the same piece of clay, you know? But I think it's, the thing with the mold piece and they do, they, that is the play. It's basically you make it into like a robotic sort of thing. Everybody fits that piece and the piece that they want fit or the piece, the piece that they want to their team has been the same piece over long period of 
of years, like the eighties and nineties. And this is what it was like then, and then, then it's always like that piece just has to get to go here. So there's not a lot of room for creativity. And I think it makes it simpler when you have, let's say a, as a coach, a blueprint that was passed on to you to be a coach, those pieces have to fit into that blueprint. Now, if you have things that don't fit that mold, it's easier to just be like, nope, doesn't work. Doesn't gonna, it's not going to fit, go away. Versus being like, wait a minute, how else could I use that piece? And have a little creativity. And also, you know, I think having, um, as a coach, having, I don't say experience, but different experiences. And I say that from point of view of like now coming over to Europe, playing in Europe, realizing that there's other types of hockey, you know what I mean? In different ways to do things. Uh, not to say everybody should come to Europe before they coach in the NHL, but my point being is like having different views of, of things, not just that blueprint of it's supposed to be this way and this is how it's going to be. And I think I had a kind of a Twitter thing the other day with, I, I love a guy, Mike McKenna, an old teammate of mine. He's an awesome dude. And his old coach would say something along the lines of do it, you know, because I said so, or that's the way it's supposed to be done. It's a little bit different now. Like even we go to individual working with players, players want to know why. And you as a coach have to give them every detail of why. And you have to know all that and you have to be able to explain that. Now, as a coach, going back to the coach side of it, if there's a player that makes you have to like question or like think or change things around a little bit, it flusters them. So it's easier to just shut the door. And I think that's what, you know, maybe at least from my experience in the game, that was it. I was, I was not a cookie cutter player, not a cookie cutter person. <laughs> I come in the room you know, I, and I like to have fun and make people laugh and be a little bit, you know, not your normal guy, you know, what, not like we're totally different people. And we're really good friends. You're not the same as me. Don't have to be, we can go out and still both be very effective for a hockey team though. Hmm. So it's, it's something along those lines. Um, that's what I think, at least that's my opinion on it with that. Like some players get the door closed on them and it's easier just to be like, nope, next and bring in something that fits into the mold perfectly. Okay. My blueprint's good. We're ready. Now I can coach a team. It's, it's less difficult. It's easier. So, so yeah. So, so speaking to that, like it, it that runs perfectly into our uh, bringing it to the table segment. Mine was actually on, on coaches adjustment. So it, you could almost hybrid. Uh, yeah, I, I was, I was bringing it into coaches adjustments in a series tactically, but you can carry over the same thing with, with a, with a player, right? Like, you know, square peg, round hole doesn't, doesn't fit. Not good for me, but, I, but I think the, the, the best coaches are the ones that, that can evolve with, with what you have, right? Like if, if you can find a way to, to, to get the skill set out of a player, and maybe that means altering, you know, if you have a, a group of D that are big lumbering D, you're not going to be a, a, a team that plays high pace up in the rush. If you got a group of D that can move well, you're going to try to have four guys up in the rush all the time. Right. And, and like you said, like it's, there's no blueprint to success. And, and I, and I almost want to question right now with what's going on with, with Edmonton and Calgary, I think Edmonton's an awesome team. Like I love, I love uh, Sutter. I love listening to him after uh, <laughs> games. Like, you know, he just seems like a guy that everyone in the locker room is, is going to play for, right. Like he's so blue collar. And, um, and, and, and Edmonton's running that super line over and over and over again. Right. Like, I don't know how long that'll last for, but as of right 
now. Like McDavid's way above everyone on plus minus points. Uh, He's putting on quite a a show and display, but he's also got two other line mates that are stellar as well. Right. Yeah. And I almost wonder if, if the, the stubbornness maybe in, in a coach maybe doesn't allow you to uh, beat a team in a, in a series. Like it's one thing in a, in a regular season when the season's long and played out and, you know, you're just sort of sticking to your system. And, but when you get to a, a series, you have seven games to beat the team. It's, it's a fast gaming, fast game of chess. So who, who you make this move, we make this move. And, and Edmondson's been making some moves, changing the lineup and everything. And, and, and Calgary hasn't really countered or not that I know of. So I'm, I'm almost wondering if, if you think, you know, you can go old school and put a, you know, a, a good skating Dylan Dubé, who hasn't been as productive offensively in the playoffs and just say, you know what, you're just going to skate with me. Like you'd be in his back pocket, the whole, the whole shift. Like, don't let him touch the puck. I don't care. We'll play four and four. The rest of the guy, he's the, the only right? thing I, I like that. Obviously that's where we came from. In, in the sense of grew up, the only problem is, is like, we also got the hook, hold and pull. Like in today's game, it's, I don't know. How does the shadow work? That's, that's remember, like yeah. whenever the ref wasn't looking, you we will go back to our days, but I remember Presty just absolutely raking on Crosby and Dylan Hunter and Trevor Kell. Like this guy, like if we watched, rewatch those mem cup games, like <laughs> there was, there was 15 penalties every shift. And but we were shadowing Crosby, but in today's game, with the way that it is, like you know, I don't know, is that is it possible? Would be my question. Like, really, how would you? You can't box him out. You can't get in front of him. You can't deny him his space. You can't get in his way. In the sense, you can't deny him his ice. You can't do the the rake stuff. Put it in his hip and pull on him. Like, I like the idea. Then I started thinking about that. Like, how do you? How would you actually do it as a player? It's easy to do that again. In the older rules, it's simple. Like, okay, I got. I don't have to worry about the puck. Nothing else matters. Just number 97. Perfect. I don't have to think, take my brain out. Just bring my work ethic. But in today's game without that ability, how would you do it? Yeah. I, I, I don't know. Like it, it's, is it trial and error and see how it goes? I, I, I know, uh, I know, I know St. Louis has, has made alterations to their team during to play against Colorado. Like Colorado is one of the highest offensive teams off the rush. And in a short period of time, they've converted their neutral zone four check uh, into a, a one, one, three. Right. And, and traditionally they're, you know, Brube is a one, two, two standard, whether it be aggressive or passive. And, and I guess to elaborate for anyone listening, um, a, a, a one, one, two, or a one, one, three, when we're describing it, it's like the opposite of soccer. I know in soccer, it's, you'd say a four, three, three, and, and it's, it's speaking from the back end out. In hockey, we speak uh, using the first four checker as the first number. So one, one, three. Essentially, what, what St. Louis is doing is they're, forced, they're allowing their F1, their first guy, the one, to go in and force the puck and make it dictate which way the, the play is going to be going. And then their F2, which is the second guy, so the one, one, the second one, he now just starts pressuring wherever the puck is, sort of in the neutral zone before the red line. And then the three is one of the forwards have now sagged back and been in line with the, the two defensemen. So you're pretty much man on man on the opposition's left wing, center, right wing, 
with a back pressuring forward. So you're, you're not allowing them to get any odd man rushes. If anything, they're going to be three versus four almost with the back pressure coming so that they've, they've changed their system to, to prevent Colorado from uh, any rush chances. Cause they're a great team off the rush and, and it, it's been working for them. Obviously they're um, still in the series. Like uh, I know Sutter had said, it's, you know, it'd be the quickest seven days or whatever, four, four games and, <laughs> Eight and days. Out when you're, when you're playing Colorado, but, but <laughs> there, there's a team that's made adjustments and, uh, and I know, I know Tampa uh, plays a similar, not to get too uh, in depth in, in, in systems and everything, but I know Tampa plays like a one, three, one. So how I just described the one, one, three, uh, the one, three, one is the first guy F one is like extremely passive and he's just serving as a guy that wants to wedge the, the play one way or the other. Right. So they don't have full range of, of ice to come up. And then the three, again, this is a defenseman that now moves up to be with two forwards in the middle row. So it's a one, three, and then the other one is your defenseman who sags back. And again, the three across works the same as filling a lane and you, you pick up and uh, obviously you're almost man on man again with their left wing center, right wing, but then you also have a safety valve defenseman back there. So you're enticing the team or forcing the team to dump the puck. And then you already have a D waiting back there. That's going to go back and and scoop it up. Right. So, uh, just, just teams making adjustments throughout the playoffs. And, uh, I, I, I don't, I just don't know if, if, if maybe some coaches are maybe too old school and, and, you know, stubborn to, to make those yeah. changes. Like what we talked about it. I think we talked about it briefly. I don't even, maybe it was episode one. Um, talking about having different variations. I think it was when I was talking about the drop pass breakout and having different, systems in place so you know if you go down one or two times you change up i think that's important too with this sort of stuff is is through the course of your season investing in this stuff because it's one thing you know to say like hey you should switch your system up but if you haven't done it all year long you also don't i mean you get one day between games you don't have time to get everybody on board if they haven't done the one three one all year or the one one three all year you've been stuck so it's i think my point being is it's important as a coach to have that sort of game plan through the course of the year of introduction of new systems, whether you're pro or whether you're peewee, same thing, you know, teaching the kids or teaching the pros new, new things through the course of the year, just in case mm. you run into these things, you know, again, during the regular season, you don't know exactly, you don't know who you're going to face in the playoffs at all until, you know, whatever, 10 games left in the season or five games left in the season. So having these things ready for the players and having the players ready, I think is super important through the course of your season. So you can switch on a dime because one, the way you put it, Dan, like, you know, systems so well, uh, I understand systems very well. And if a coach were to tell us, even in our old retired asses, <laughs> if we were out there playing, if they told us to switch from a one, two, two to a one, three, one, we would know exactly what to do. Okay. Who's the guy up left D. Okay. Perfect. So now I'm the retriever. I'm the right D I'm the retriever, you know, whatever you, we could swing it. No problem. You would be prepared to do it. So um, anyways, point being is making sure through the course of the year as coaches, you have game plans and what part of your season you would implement something like this, um, having an or, you know, your season organized. It's, I think you and I, Danny, were talking about this like a year ago. Like, how would you teach it? And you would almost teach it in like quarters. Like the first, mm -hmm. the first quarter would be D zone, most important, just teach D zone. And then it would be D zone structures. And then it would go to the neutral zone in quarter two. And then it would go into four checks in quarter three. And then it'd be all encompassing at the end of it, like power play, everything. And we're talking about youth hockey stuff, but how do you teach them the full game? And in pro, you can you can obviously expedite that 
time frame. You know, you can start in training camp. First four days of training camp are going to be D zone. First, the next four days, this, the next four days, that. And then kind of organize it and have a game plan for you so your team can shift. And as much as you put into it as a coach, and as much thought you put into it, and as much as you invest in it, and then again, plan it out for the players, organize your soldiers then that's how well prepared they'll be at the, at the moment when you as a coach, you know, that's the thing, pressure, there's so much pressure on coaches because when stuff like this happens, if you're prepared to make a switch, you can just turn the switch. But if you're not prepared to make that switch and you, you know that your soldiers aren't ready for that, you're not going to go from, you know, airstrike to, to ground combat. If you don't feel like you have guys that could be okay. boots on the ground. Okay. Let me, let me ask you another one then. So w- the way it is right now, there's, there's, you just said like, if the coach is, if it's not working for the coach, it's easier to get rid of the coach than it is to get rid of the guy who's under contract for seven years. That isn't working. Right. We'll find a new coach. Right. So the, the coaching carousel is always turning and it's almost like, it's almost like recycling bin, right. Cause you're, yeah. this coach goes from here to here, whatever. And like, and the game of hockey is evolving. And, you know, I, I think Montreal is one of the only teams that I know that, went out of the box and grabbed a player who obviously was an ex- exceptional player in Marty St. Louis to, to be a coach right. with minimal to no actual like junior coaching pro coaching experience. Connecticut but obviously, Rangers. I think he was but, coaching U, U12 or U13 Connecticut Rangers. But, but obviously knows the game well, like m- most players. And, and I think uh, his personality, you could just sort of see it. He allowed the play, the young players to, you know, have fun again and you're in last place and they're going out and still having fun at practice and game. And it, it, you know, they kept winning because of it. Uh, like what, what's your thoughts on the, the recycling bin of, of coaches sort of just hopping from team to team, uh, versus sort of bringing in a, a, a new, a, a new mind or, uh, someone that maybe will think differently and ha- hasn't been anywhere to, to prove it, but, Let's see what you got, right? Like, is I, it, does, I, it, does I, that I open up the door? Head. I can't wrap my head around it, really, personally. I don't get it. I really don't. I don't have the answers, and I don't know what, why it is. Um, you, it goes round and around too, and it does. And I, I, good for the guys that keep getting rehired. I, I guess that experience goes hooked on away. I just don't understand how you can have a team in the show that is absolutely at wit's end and, and there's no coming back and this team can't be saved. And there, there's these scenarios where it happens. The teams absolutely stink and the fire coach to bring in somebody new. And there's like the spring of life. And then like three weeks later, or maybe three months later, that's that coach that got fired is going back into a, a situation. You're like, I don't know. I just can't, I don't know. I don't, if I'm an owner, I, I don't think I, I would, I, I don't know if I'll ever have, you know, $600 million to buy a team. Definitely not. But, I think I would want something fresh again, the way the game's evolving new era. Um, you know, sometimes what's the expression? You can't teach an old dog, new tricks. I think as this game evolves and as the game's coming to change in totally, it's, it's night and day from what it was. We uh, watching Dennis Popbands break Bobby Orr's points record uh, just today on, on social media with the goal that was scored. And there was somebody kind of chirping about it, but the game has totally changed. And I think I would be looking for that new spring of life that's coming up with this group, uh, with this generation of players. Um, the players are going back. Like they're you totally can, you different. Ha- you, you can't, you can't, you, you know, you know how many coaches we had that were hard asses. Like you can't be a hard ass. Now you have, you have, like you said, the players want to know why you have to educate them. And, and each why player, not? Though, that's the other thing too, Dan. Like when, when the player says why, like the old school mentality is like you, 
effing punk. You shut your mouth. Get in line. It's like, man, I don't never understood that because I always had why. I, I really do because you know why? Because I want to dominate. I want to know exactly why. What like what is the details? Maybe maybe my tone as a player used to be off because I'd be like, why? Why? You know, a little bit. Maybe a little bit. I guess tone is a big thing. I've learned that in my life. My tone does suck. But whenever you ask questions of a why, you get you're a punk. What do you mean? If you were like. In any other job, you ask why and ask for details so you can be the best at your job. Usually the management people teach you. So then you succeed and then the company succeeds. In this game, it was like, why is like such a bad question? Like you're such a punk for saying why. But that's the old school mentality. Like you said, it's changing. Sorry to cut you off, but that's, that is totally changing. And I think it's proper. Like if players have a question, why? You as a coach, you're a mentor. You are a teacher. You are, that's your job is to pass on whatever knowledge you have up in that cranium of yours to the next. And if someone comes to you with a why, you should be happy. You should be honored that they would ask you why. So you can share everything you possibly can so that kid can go on and carry on. Like that's mentorship. That's what coaching is. Yeah, It's and, no and longer I, dictatorship. Yeah, and I, th- and I think uh, going back to like what we were talking a little bit about, uh, not Where understanding, a, not, no, 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 not understanding, a, not understanding a player, right? Like yeah. I can talk to Rob Shrimp differently than I talk to Mark Mathot than I talk to Dan Girardi, you know. Like there, I think that's what makes good coaches. I don't, I don't mean to go off on a tangent here. Of I know we are talking about coaches and alterations, but or adjustments. But I think nowadays the the best coaches are ones that players want to play for. Like I think you, I think you saw it a little bit in Tortorella. Like he would be the hard ass. And he hybrided to players like playing for him. Like, even though he was still a hard ass, like he, he learned to modify the way he spoke to players. And, 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 and I think it from was Tampa the, from Tampa in the early two thousands to New York Rangers Columbus yeah. in the 2000s in the teens. I mean, Brandon press was saying that he, that he loved play. Everybody loved playing for him. The skill guys obviously had a little harder time because he was brash demanding. Yeah demanding and you want that some as a skill guys you kind of you're used to that really super long rope but as a yeah, player right. like uh, uh, as a player i i i really liked when we would do video like you sort of said like i i wasn't that that player that tried to question everything like oh why are you doing this way but i but i like trying to poke holes and see how we would adjust and i remember when we were in uh, when we our, our last year when we played over in Germany, we had Rob Wilson as a as a coach, and yeah. we would do video. He was really receptive of me asking questions, so we would do video. And awesome. I, said, okay. I like I said, really a lot. Yeah, so I'd say, so what about? Okay, well, if if we send F one down, and and what what if they reverse it up the wall? Is that F two going, or you want the D jump down the wall? Right, like little things that play out in the game all the time. But but yeah. Uh, I, I'm not trying to say I, I helped him, but I, I know now as a, as a coach, when I'm teaching, there's so many variables and, and, and I enjoyed asking them and, and he enjoyed answering them because everyone in the room is getting better. Cause you're like, okay, well then there's that parts covered, you know, well, what happens if they go D to D and then who, who's taking the low centerman then is that is F3 now going down to the D to D guy and F2 has to come over to take a center is F3 taking the low center. And we're just allowing that, d-man to walk up the weak side of the ice and sort of that's their way out, right like so things like that rob uh i think coaching in peterborough right peterborough, now yeah yeah um but i i really enjoyed those like you know little brain sessions and i think that's sort of what hybrided us into 
doing this or we can sort of talk shop and break down clips. And, you know, there's some things that you uh, say and, and do, and I would say the opposite or why wouldn't you do this instead? And well, this is why like your, your brain works differently than mine. And I think if everyone sort of collaborates together in, in a, in a locker room, it, it is for the betterment of the, of the team. And I think, again, going back to misunderstanding players, I think maybe there was times where I, like I was, I've had a lot of coaches and I think there's maybe times that I had a coach that didn't understand my motives. Like I want to win. I'm doing everything yeah. to help us win. And I want you to be the coach that helps us win too. Not going against you. I'm not rebelling or anything like that. Right. I just, but, but, you know, but I just wanted that's to, the why that's the thing, Danny, if you don't know what, what this guy, the why of this guy, where is he coming from? And, and the thing is, as a player, if you're a good player, and you understand that you're a good chess player slash hockey player. We talk about you playing a fast game of chess and you see the commander making calls that it, you're, you're watching this thing four steps ahead being like, this is not going to play out well, man. What, what the hell are you talking about? You do that and this happens. And then that, and then guess what? It's in the back of that. And you're going to be confused. Then you're going to be screaming at the wrong guy. You're, you know, in, in my mind, I get, I get emotional about it or fired up about it. I'm like, you're a fucking idiot. Like, what are you doing? Like, and then what, what are you trying to like, you're, you want to know that person's motive, but it backfires to you. I, I always, I never understood that for you as well. You're such a smart hockey mind. And I understand that being in the locker room with you, played hockey with you, been friends with you a long time. It's always been that about the team. You were the captain of a very good hockey team and the motives are to win. But that question of why God it would get you in trouble. They would be so defensive about that. You're, you're a punk. <laughs> Because the, the root of it is you want to win and that's it. Let's talk tactics. And if you want to talk tactics for hours, you, Danny Sabret will talk tactics for hours, which is great. Cause you come to the, you get all the solutions out there. Some people don't like that. Some people don't want to talk hockey for a couple hours, but anyways, it's already going on a tangent. But it drives me nuts because that's the thing as a good player and a hockey person, hockey brain. You, you, again, if, if what the commander saying doesn't add up and you're like, dude, we're going to walk right into a landmine. If you tell us to keep going this route and you, you're going to be like, why we walk in the landmine and the answer is to shut the hell up and just do it. It's hard to eat that. And so maybe sometimes pride is too big. Yeah. And, well, I, and, and I mean that, that series uh, going back to that series that the Calgary Edmonton series has been good. Like I, I obviously your, your favorite, I think you said, no, I, I think you opted not to pick a team because you're afraid I stayed neutral, of neutral, man. I stayed Swiss. You're afraid of two stampede years there, man. Afraid of the stampede in White Ave. I know. I get it. But <laughs> I, I sort of sided with Calgary and, and, uh, and I just wonder if that super line is, is just causing too much havoc on like the, the they're matching, obviously line matchups are big and in the playoffs, McDavid's plus 16 and, uh, Lynn Holmes minus seven. Uh, there's, I think the rest of the line Tofoli's minus seven Hannafin's minus seven. Like those are big minuses in the playoffs. Oh boy. Right. I'm and Mc, McDavid is plus 16. He's like head and shoulders above everyone else. It's like, got to, I know he's the best player in the world. You could, but you got to try to find a way to stop him. Right. Like I know it's a team game. Well, yeah. yeah, Like, well, so he's going to be crowned the Stanley cup champion. Like someone's going to figure out a way. It's just a matter of, of doing it. But I know, um, I know there's other firepower. I think that's firepower, firepower. Yeah. But there's things can be done. Like, you know, I, I mean, do you, do you think way out of the box and go, you know what, we're going to just, we're going to address a, another D we're going to go 11 and seven and have, we'll play two forwards and three D against him. Right. Like it's weird, oh, different. Which one, who, you know what I mean? Like, 
like, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just thinking outside the box. Like you, teams are making teams are altering their system. One, three, one, 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 three. He just thinks inside that shape. He understands that shape. You back to it. Keep saying it all the time. Who cares? The chessboard. He just sees every move, man. And he calculates it. He's so the, the hit against the door off. Like, man, what a play. Like the way that he absorbed that hit crossed his right leg. Like it was, it comes in his right leg came over his left leg to support the hit bounce off it perfectly, go in the direction, then be able to get out of it. Like he is three, four, sometimes five seconds ahead of the play. And then the fact of the matter is none of these anticipating it in the sense of like where somebody else is going to, he sees it five seconds ahead and then he goes and gets the puck and does it himself. It is insane what he does. Mm-hmm. And that's why I say it's so hard. Like, how do you stop it? Like as soon as he gets it, he's already in small details. You break his game down. He's always shoulder checking, surveying the ice. You talk, Talk about that a lot with young kids. Check the, when someone else has the puck, start looking around. He's always surveying the ice. He's always three, four, five seconds ahead of everybody. I don't know, man. It's to your point, maybe three defensemen. I don't know, but I think somehow he comes up with the equation to that. In my opinion, he sees it. Yeah. Or how else do you change the, uh, the series? What do you run the goalie? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's perfect. Right into my, right into my topic for the table today would be, it was what I wanted to talk about was the goaltender interference. The goal, not that goaltender interference, goaltender interference in general. There's so much chatter about it, and there's so much, you know, back and forth and confusion and, and whatnot. And I think, you know, for me personally, there's a couple couple instances right away in the series, the Calgary-Edmonton series, you know, the one where everybody's kind of <laughs> – people call them to change the rule because McDavid made a nice play, made a hard play wasn't malicious, wasn't trying to take a goalie out dangles, you know, trying to dangle the defenseman ran out of space, runs in the goalie guy comes up, picks a rebound scores. Like everybody's saying that we got to make a rule alteration. Like, how do you make a rule alteration? In my opinion, what I want to say is like the goalies have to have some protection, man. Like hmm. McDavid can fly. He can fly. And a lot of, and it's not just Connor McDavid, like the NHL in general, people can fly. If there is no, blue paint barrier for them to somewhat hit the brakes, the goalies are going to get killed. Like, and it's dangerous. You're talking about coming in, crashing, banging the net with like, you know, razor sharp blades on. And they're, and they're more, more times than not, they're butterfly goalies. So you're just blowing a knee out in any type of rollback on, like you're in a butterfly and get shoved back. Like your knee is just going to pop. Right. Like, I think that's what happened with Bennington. Right. So, yeah. So like that's, and then, you know, then you have, the goaltender interference. So I, I think my opinion, first of all, with the blue paint stuff, I think the goalies, that's their area. That's their protection, call it. And I don't think there's any way people should be talking about taking, in my opinion, no, taking no, you that said, away from the goalies. So you're, you're saying that the disallowed goal on, uh, I don't know who scored it, but when McDavid drove the net, you're agreeing with the fact that it was, it should be not allowed. Correct. 100%. Yeah. Like I'm with you. No, I'm with you. you. Open I, up that cat, cat, a you know, bag of worms or you let that cat out of the bag. Like, where's their protection? Like everybody's just going to drive down the wall and run 90 degrees across the goal line. And Hey, run them. If I run them, I run them. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah, no, I I agree. I agree with, with your take there. And I was the same, like he, 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 his path was going through the blue paint to begin with. And I know old school, it's like, yeah, drive the far post. Like, yeah, that would have been probably a goal a long time ago, but now, like you said, it, it it was disallowed. What, what, what's your take on, uh, in game three, the, the Lucic, I know it was four, nothing, the Lucic interact interaction with, with Smith. That's where it comes <laughs> into play. Now they start talking about goalie interference and then the goalie coming out of the net. So the blue paint, I'm a, I'm a believer in 
them being protected. That's their space. You know, when they come out, though, my my mind's a little bit all over on this one. I, I don't get it. Like they're the most protected and they come out and it's like all hands off. Don't, don't, you touch them. They're going to they're gonna, like, what's the thing? Like if you hit a goalie just because they're a goalie, they're going to crumble to pieces. I don't know why like, I understand in the paint. Cause then they're, they're like just sitting there. They're in a butterfly, right? We start talking about blades coming by their neck. You start talking about blowing their knees out. They come out behind the net and they're standing straight up and they're like playing hockey with the puck. I don't know. I, sometimes I feel like why, why can they do that? So you, you, you know? say, you say fair play when you're outside the crease. Hey man, calculate it. You want to come out and play it out of your protection, out of your safety. You're the only people that get safety nets on the ice. Nobody else on the ice is like, I got a blue paint around me. Stop. <laughs> Do you, when you go back and somebody high flips it in your corner, you'd be like, Nope, blue paint. Stop. <laughs> no. So fucking lights you up. You know, they come out and then it's like, Oh, everybody sweeps. So we have this instance where Lucic's puck comes in and you know, what are you going to say to Lucic? like, Oh, you should have slowed up. Well, what happens if, if he kind of totally hits the brakes there, stops his momentum totally altogether in the play that happened. I think everyone knows what happened. And Smith plays it like he really like Smith can. He's unbelievable playing the mm-hmm. puck. He plays it, and now he burns Lucic with that that breakout pass. And they go up the ice. And they go down the ice. Or sorry, they go down the ice. They break out easy. And they go out. Lucic is in shit for letting up. The coach is like, "What are you doing? Play, right?" So he's got to come into that situation with speed. Smith doesn't wind up playing it, and there winds up being a collision. And I don't piss people off. I'm sure I will, but like, and I, I'm pulling for the Oilers to win the series. That oh. was not an earth shattering. Oh. Sh- that was not an earth shattering hit. No. Yeah. Yeah. I just let the cat out of the bag on this. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're back on oh. way to have, you just can't go back to this. I just can't now. go stampede. Shit. <laughs> hey, shush, let that one slip. But come on, man, watch that film. That's embellishment. And I'm not saying the ref should call embellishment, but everybody calling for like major penalties and like, you tried to kill him. And, you know, I will say when he ran Ryan Miller, he did that on purpose, but that was a long time ago. And that wasn't just the other day. So different scenario, different, different instance. This one, it was like, what else, what is he going to do there? Does he supposed to stop at the goal line and be like, okay, Smitty, what are you going to do with it? You're going to rim it. Oh, you're going to play it. Okay. Now I can go again. Like, what is he supposed to do there? Really? So when they come out of that safety net, I don't know. I don't know how I feel. I think like you should be able to light them up. I mean, I, they got more more pads on. It's an yeah, it's an interesting take. Like they 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 obviously instituted the trapezoid rule so that goalies would stay out of the corner and not play as much. So if you do want to play it outside there, it's in the pucks on your stick. You know, one one thousand, two one thousand, maybe fair game. I don't know. Heads up, like, <laughs> coming in hot. The, the the thing is that it's it's hard to find. Like Smith and and I think Turco were two or Smith is still probably the best at playing the puck. Um, more hybrid now. Goalies don't really do that as much. I think yeah. maybe the the way that the rules have been instituted, it, it it's prevented goalies from being you know puck handlers. But still, on any ram, the goalie's going back and stopping it. Right, like that's yeah. like like that's the thing when you're when you're dumping the puck you're dumping it for a purpose to get it back and the goalie's trying to stop it behind the net to allow your d to just go back and and scoop well, the, it but the other thing too danny is like the back so when you're coming at a certain angle on a four check like let's say you're coming down the left side the punk puck gets dumped and you're flying down the left side you're trying to get on your horse because that's what we do now we get on our horse we sprint 100 miles an hour and now the puck goes behind the net you're coming on the left side the goalie comes behind the net stops it 
and you, again, you don't know what the read is going to be. A lot of the times you use that behind the net. If he plays it up the right side, you use that behind the net as like a slingshot to get your momentum to keep you going, you know, get you back faster. They come out and stop that lane, totally clog it up. What are you supposed to do? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Am I drawing a good proper picture? Yeah, no, I know what you mean. Like you're just saying he's almost serving like a pick potentially, and you're serving just going to blow up his back shoulder and probably get five for charging, yeah. right? You have to let off. And then that's like, so that's a, you know, chess match. That's a smart play, like by the goalie. So like, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it. I think you, know, you can't run them from behind just because they're goalies, but you know, if you're coming down that left side, he's looking straight at you and he wants to stand in your way. I'm sure the goalies would be pissed about that. I don't then get out of the way. So you, you think somebody did the best, his best Ric Flair impersonation? I, did. I really do. You know, I, if he gets butthurt about it, that's, that's too bad. But that's the, he really threw his head back and he sold it and, he really sold it. So I, I don't think it was a malicious thing. And I think I like Sutter's comments after. Yeah. I think if, if Lucic was going to light him up, this, you know, like, come on, this guy wouldn't be, he would have been on a stretcher, not going in the locker room and then getting a, yeah. No, I think, WWE I think the, entrance back in. <laughs> I think the call on the, on the ice was just to, to settle the rest of the game. It's four, nothing with 11 minutes to go. Yeah. Like, Clearly, he didn't. He didn't charge. There was goaltender contact. He has a history. He's a giant man. Like you know, yeah, who's going to settle that score? You know, and in, in, in a couple of days Cassian? before, well, a couple of days before, you saw Bennington out for the series, maybe the the entire playoffs for the contact with him, right? Like it can change a a series. So I, I'm I'm not against the 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 penalty call. I think if it's a a one one game in the third period, I don't know if that's the the call. I think you're just trying to preserve the the health of the players for the, the the last 10 minutes not allowing it to get idiotic out there right because i mean it is a series old school is you know you're you're down four goals with 10 minutes left you're gonna try to go hurt someone you know kind of funny yeah tell they that will that happen in carolina d'angelo d'angelo and domi were swinging the twigs around at the end of the game you know uh but that's it's interesting that they're putting a cap on it. I think it's very evident that they're putting a cap on it. I mean, maybe it's captain obvious to say that, but that was part of the entertainment a long time ago when our game was very barbaric. They would just be those last four minutes would just be brawls, fights, scraps. As a fan, it's hard to see that stuff go because it's part of the DNA of what, you know, I'm not, and I'm not even saying like I'm a fighter. I just grew up with that game. I watched it. I loved every piece of it. You know, the scraps, the, the, this shit show stuff that would happen at the end of the you know, game to, to it happened. I always go back. Sorry to cut, cut the court. I'll never cut the court, but the London nights days when Mike Richards and Corey Perry squared up at center ice, it was, it was unbelievably entertaining. It was sick, you know, cause Richie kept doing that shit. He did it after game one. He like absolutely raked on pairs back and pairs didn't do anything about it. And then I think this was game three, maybe. He did it again. They were down by, we were up by like four or five goals. No need for it. Richie did it again. And Paris called him out and went to center ice. And the, the, the fight was amazing. The fans were so into it. The, we were on the bench banging the twigs. Get on Paris. You know, it was, it was, it was great. But I, I think it's, I say it from two, wearing two hats as a, as a fan and someone that grew up with that, you kind of miss it, but also as somebody that's retired and seeing guys with, with head injuries and, and brain injuries and, and lingering effects from that barbaric game it's it's actually nice to see i think it's the proper thing to do to put a cap on that shit as as entertaining as it was as it could be guys you know 
10 years down the road, not being able to do certain things in their life is, is probably, you know, they're not probably is, is way more beneficial to, to protect that. No, I agree with you. Like I'm, I'm, I'm with you. The game's so fast. Like the, the only thing that can evolve is, is your brain. Right. And I think that's where uh, a lot of concussion issues and everything are. Everyone's faster, stronger. The only thing that can't really grow is your brain. Right. Um, so I, I do believe in the health, like at the end of the day, you know, the, their careers are getting shorter and shorter. So guys have the rest of their lives to, to, uh, live, but, uh, yeah, I, I mean, it was entertaining, you know, you see some of these old classic games and, um, and, and, you know, sometimes a big thing like that, whether it be a fight or a big hit like that, uh, would change a, a series, but, uh, good. Uh, I, I liked your topic and, and theory on, on goaltender, uh, interference or, um, the safety net around the blue paint and, you know, potentially making it fair game. If you're outside of it and handling the puck, like risk yourself, there, here you go. Right. You got all the equipment on in the world. Um, uh, but no, I, it was an interesting take on that. Let's, uh, let's get down to the nitty gritty here and, uh, let's, let's cut some film up. Let's go. Okay, for the clips today, what I got is the, uh, some clips from the Florida Panthers power play. And the main focus on this is the top of the key, the quarterback of the power play. And inside of these clips, what I wanted to show was what I find to be a little bit of what Florida's doing wrong. And for the listeners to understand what exactly that top guy is, is looking to achieve, what his job is, and what to look for. So we go to this first clip. What I found here is uh, Sasha Barkov is up on top of the key. And I feel it, what I'll say is the, the wrong parts. What Florida's doing right now is they're just rushing the puck, they're rushing the passes, and they're making passes just to make passes. Now, when you're the quarterback and you're the top guy up on the, port, on the power play point, your job is to manipulate the box. And also what you're doing is you're manipulating at which angle you are going to attack the net or your team's going to attack the net. So again, in this situation, what we got here is, is Barkov is up at the top we can see that the Tampa Bay Lightning penalty killer is there, but it's token pressure. He's not jumping out at him. So what that means when you're the top guy in the power play, if this guy is stopped and he's just standing, and he, again, what we call it is token pressure, he's not darting out at you, you want to take that guy and you want to drag him as, as much as you possibly can so that the next pass that you make, you give your teammate that much extra time. And that's what this clip is going to diagram. If Sasha would pull this puck over further, he would pull Nick Paul from the Tampa Bay Lightning over further. And what that would do in return is give Huberdeau more time and space. So you can see what he does. He forces the pass or a little, sorry, passes the, he passes it just to pass it versus passing Huberdeau a gift. And then what happens in this scenario is Paul gets to come back and be a factor on this play versus if, if he had dragged him over two or three more strides, Huberdeau would be walking downhill and getting that shot off. And another thing, what I find with the, with the Panthers power play and what the problem is, is there's just the chemistry's off and we'll watch as this play keeps playing out, comes back to bark off. And now the goal line guy, which is Reinhardt, he's in between. He doesn't know what to do. Um, again, for us to learn from this is if you're the goal line guy, think about positioning yourself in an area if to be a threat to the net. So in this situation, if Reinhardt were to just stay put where he is, it would take a simple just shot tip pass down from Barkov, and he would have the goalie beat. 
So there's either that you get two options there as the goal line guy, you position yourself in a spot where again, you make it hard. He has to have two points of attack to worry about. He's got to worry about Barkov walking down and ripping a bomb, or he's got to worry about this guy making a backdoor pass on you. So now the goalie doesn't know where to react to and what to think in this situation. This guy is in between the chemistry is off here. We're seeing it. Their power play is super low percentage. And, and this is the sort of thing that's off the chemistry. Reinhardt is in between going and not going. He winds up going. And when he winds up going, it's right in the middle of the time when Barkov is shooting the puck. So now it's just super awkward. And if we pay attention right at the moment when Barkov gets this thing on net and you were to stop and ask Reinhardt, like, what were you actually going to do with this puck? If he tips it, he's standing right next to Vasilevsky. Like, where's it going to go in? Again, if we rewind it a couple seconds back, if, if Reinhardt had stayed off the goalie, it would have given the goalie two points of attack on the net to worry about. So food for thought here on that clip, really important as the top guy on the PP, you want to stretch things out. You want to draw people with you to give your player that you're moving the puck to more time and space, a better opportunity versus passing the puck just to pass the puck. Don't pass the puck just to pass the puck on the power play. Have a philosophy. And if you're the quarterback on it, that's your job. In the next clip, we're going to go same thing, Florida Panthers. Now we have Mackenzie Weger up top here. And you will see I highlighted this space that he's in, and I highlighted the goalie. Those are the two things that we're trying to accomplish here. Using the space that's available to manipulate the goaltender. And in this clip, you can see the goaltender has got his eyes up, paying attention to what Weger's doing with the puck here. And he's aware of what he's planning on doing. If you're the, if you're the top guy on the power play up there, you're trying to think of like, okay, I got all this time and space up here. How can I manipulate, again, the box and also the goaltender? So as I'm moving lateral, as I'm moving side to side, like I diagram in this clip, you're, you're pulling people with you. But here in this situation, this is, again, just a pass to, to make a pass. This is like a, okay, the coach diagrammed it this way, so I'm going to do it how he asked me to diagram it. And watch what happens here. He just passes it. The goalie's got eyes on him, reads the whole play. And if you see this point, the point of contact on Bennett, look how square Vasilevsky is to this puck. So the top guy up there on the key was probably like, oh, I'm giving this guy wide open one time. He better score. When the truth of the matter is, Uyghur never looked at the net to see what the goalie saw and what was happening at the net. He just kept going from left to right with the puck, never, never seeing what's going on at the net, never manipulating that goaltender. And then when this puck gets down to that one-timer, again, here it is on contact. Look how square the goaltender is to this guy. So food for thought, when you have that much time and space up there, again, as the top on the, on the point, the key of the power play, your job is to use that time and space to manipulate, pull the goalie with you, draw defending players with you uh, to tee up the play that you're trying to make. When this pass comes over to Bennett, the goalie should be, I'd say halfway on his way over to get to this spot to make the save. If you make this pass to your one-time flank and he looks up and the goalie's been square for two seconds, you made the wrong play. <laughs> so just a little, some details here to learn from, and hopefully the Panthers can figure it out, get their power play clicking so their season doesn't come to an end in a quick minute. Danny, what do you got for us today? Okay, for my clip, I, I just want to queue up uh, a, a three-on-two opportunity or chance off off the rush. And I think that there's a, an area that, uh, the younger players I see, uh, whether I'm, I'm coaching or coaching against, I see everyone wants to be the third guy high. So a team will, a, a team will attack three on two gain entry to the blue line. 
and someone will sag over and, and be the, I'm going to be the token high guy when really the back checker will be the guy that ends up negating that opportunity. So in, in the clip here, I have Calgary going right to left on, on the attack against Edmonton. Uh, they have a, the puck in the, in the center of the ice going through the neutral zone, clear cut three on two. Johnny Goudreau's on the bottom side of the screen running right to left with a ton of speed. And Kachuk is at the top of the of the ice surface a little bit ahead. So he's got to buy some time to make sure he stays on side. But he does a really good job of crossing the blue line at the same time as the puck and with speed. So what happens is Goudreau gets kicked the puck down on the south side of the ice he drives wide, bringing over Cody Cece, which then opens up the middle of the ice. Goudreau lays the puck through to the middle drive guy who's driving hard through the middle of the ice, not pulling back, looking to be the high guy. Johnny makes a good pass. It forces Darnell Nurse to cover the entire area in the defensive zone on a two-on-one. He opts to probably take the right decision and take the middle drive guy, but he had to make a decision. And the middle guy, middle drive guy ends up making a really good touch pass to keep the pass, the puck going through to the weak side where Kachuk gets a really good scoring chance. But what, what this three on two did was it pulled the defenseman out of the middle of the ice to create now a two on one. And because both players had speed and attacking the net, it made life really hard for Darnell Nurse to, to defend against. And I just wanted to touch on the fact that it wasn't a high guy sagging back, trying to get a drop pass, which can easily be picked up by a, by a back checker. What it was, was three players driving hard th to the net, a good passing option through to the middle drive guy, the middle drive guy ended up kicking it out to the weak side guy, and they got a really good scoring chance out of it just because all three guys drove hard to the net. Sib, I want to ask on that, why why does CC come outside the dot line there? What what could I know you can't speak for him, but as a defenseman, I th I think you can answer the question. What like what's the point of coming out there out there? Because in, in my mind, and again, I you can check my dashes. I, I got I was usually a green jacket candidate every year, but for me, Johnny Goudreau is 50 feet away from the net and he's in outside ice. Is there any, why, is there any reason for CC to come outside there? What's the point? Um, I mean, I, I can't speak for him. I, I'm just thinking that he, he might've thought that Kachuk is out of the play and posted up on the far side of the ice. So now it almost turns into a two on two. Uh, and then he sort of overplays Goudreau against the wall where it allows Goudreau to slide the puck through to his middle drive, uh, centerman, uh, and then Nurse does a decent job of, of coming over and taking away that immediate threat. Uh, but a really skilled play by the middle drive guy to just touch it, one touch it through or bypass it almost to, to Kachuk driving through. But um, I, I'm not sure why, like a golden rule is to stay inside the dots. Uh, yeah. I, I think maybe he just had a maybe misread off the entry and thought it was a, a two on two and maybe respected Goudreau's speed a little bit too much on it, but either way, it's just a, a, a three on two uh, middle drive where I, I say it all the time to my players. It's like when you're attacking that everyone wants to be the high guy, right? Everyone wants to get the little yeah. drop pass and ooh, 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 I'm going to walk in. But in reality, everyone back checks hard. The game is so fast. Now you have yeah. to be able to drop middle drive, weak side drive. And one of the two guys will be a passing option for you, but you can't just, sort of token take yourself out of the play and sag back to be that high guy and you're just going to get absorbed by the back checker you're just negating your three on two turning it into a, a two on two but 
in in the clip, uh, uh, Calgary does a really good job of executing a, a fast paced three on two, and I think that's the way that Calgary plays is uh, with high energy and and attacking the net. That's one of the best lines, I think, if not the best yeah. offensive line in in the NHL, and it just shows to uh, everyone that is watching or listening. It's, it's just because <laughs> there, there's obviously skill, but there's hard work there. No, one's just a token. I'm going to wind up. I'm going to be the, the, the late guy teaming up for one time where like everyone's going with speed and, and forcing their creativity, uh, to excel through, through their, uh, speed. Yeah. I think that's like, the thing is with the execution by Calgary on this clip, it's, it's great. It's unbelievable. It's fast. It's, it's, it's executed very well. And the point being is, is that, for, for if you're a defenseman like CC, be careful where you take your risk and you know what what the point is. I think like again to take a risk here and jump outside ice, you expose yourself. And for me, there's a moment in the clip um, around the 25 second mark where if I'm that left-handed forward, if I'm Johnny Gaudreau and you start coming out of me like that and your triangle is that exposed, I'm going to go through your triangle and cut you inside. And I'm going to go inside ice. In this play, Johnny makes a great pass and executes. But you also by jumping outside the dots like that you're exposing yourself to getting burned because the thing is, again, what's, what is the reward? Okay. You might be able to stop this play up here. What's the risk? You either give up a two on one or you run the risk of being burned by a forward that has the ability. And in today's game, a lot of people do have the skating and hands ability to burn you. So it's kind of being a little bit more patience as a defenseman backing up and again, risk and reward and also leaving a guy in non-deadly ice to cover the stuff that is deadly, which would be the center slash here, giving a little bit more support to nurse staying on the dot line and then letting dry side will come back and be a factor in the play. Cause the other thing is at this level, right? The NHL level, if, if Goudreau comes down and takes a shot from the wall and it goes in, that's not the D's fault <laughs> in most levels. It's not, you know, you go down to peewees, like the goalie's got to make the save. You leave a guy and you force a guy to stay to the outside lane like if if Goudreau goes all the way down the wall here and he scores from there like that shouldn't happen it's probably not going to happen at this level but for you as a defenseman think about that there's no point of jumping out here and risking I think being a little bit more conservative in these situations and backing up versus leaping out past the dots is a good lesson for for players to understand yeah and I think I think the other thing is is uh, attacking off off entry with speed and I like to call like width and depth. Um, back in the day, you probably would drop back to create that depth so that you have that triangle attack. But because the game's so fast now and, and guys back check so well, the mm. the depth component of it, the width is there, right? There, there are three guys wide attacking the on entry, but the depth component just has to be a little bit off of the other players passing lane. Right. So yep. if you're the, if you're the weak side, if we're attacking uh, down the ice uh, left wingers in this scenario, left wingers attacking the blue line with the puck, he has a passing option to the centerman who's driving through. And if I could just throw it sort of off of his backside, off of his heels would be my other passing option all the way through to Kachuk, my right, my right winger. Right. And in this video that he lays it through to the middle drive guy who realizes he's under pressure as well and he sort of just one touches it over to the weak side lane attacking but uh just wanted to emphasize the the middle drive the weak side drive no one's pulling up to be the high guy because you just can't in in nowadays it didn't happen everybody's coming back 
uh, they should be anyways. But um, the, the other thing I want to touch on is, uh, I mean, I'm sort of getting good at betting now. I am. I, I'm sort of getting good at it. Like I, it's probably bad news for points bet Canada, but I created my own line in game three of the Tampa game and they won, I think four, one or five, one. So laughing at that, um, I don't know what I can do about the Calgary Edmonton series. I don't know what's like you're Edmonton. I'm going Calgary, but what, it, what is constant is that McDavid is getting a lot of points. So the only bet I'm probably going to do in that series or that game is I'm just going to take McDavid on the over on points every game. This guy is on another level. What about you? I like, yeah. I mean, he's getting seven, eight scoring chances or creating seven, eight, nine scoring chances a game. It's, it's, it's been, it's insane. Yeah. So that's a, it's almost like a sure bet. Uh, so, but I, um, with that, I agree. What I, what I would say for me personally, what I, my bet, what I'd be taking for the next game, I'm only, I'm only say game. I only go one game. I don't do the parlay stuff. I would go with, I would take Carolina. Carolina absolutely pumped New York and Shashurkin just stood on his head. He's getting peppered. I know we talked that we didn't think he was so great in the first series in the sense of like standing out or, or sexy, some, so to speak, but uh, he's getting peppered and Carolina peppered him, just came up a little bit short. But I think Carolina just, I don't know, I like that that game over the over the New York Rangers. And I'd like it to be uh I would take it at minus one and a half if I was if I'm betting it. No, I Carolina's a team that I, I don't know if I respected them as much as when I don't watch them as much in the regular season. But watching them in playoffs, like the, these guys all play hard. They're well, you can tell they're well coached. Again, you can tell that they are playing for the coach, they like their coach. They're, they have speed and skill and defensive awareness. They're, they're D or active. Like it's a, it's a good team, a fun team to watch. And obviously they're without their starting goaltender and still finding ways to, to succeed. So uh, yeah, it, that's a, a good bet on, on your part. I mean, so far, all the, all the games in, in the playoffs have been great. Uh, first round was unbelievable. So far in the second round, you'd like to see, uh, you know, Florida make a little bit more of a series, but uh, for our good buddy and in Corey Perry and and former alumni in in Pat Maroon, it's it's good to see Tampa uh, doing well and uh, maybe on the verge of another. You're pulling for that cup party. Well, you're, yeah, you're for that cup party. Patty can for, go eh? five. Was it five or four <laughs> in a row? Yeah, I just want an invite, Pat. Like, I but just should, that's, that's what we should get them. We should get points bet to put something together for that. What are the odds that Mister Sivrat gets an invite to Patty Maroon's? With third cup party. Well, I, I, I think the odds would be easily favored in me getting invited. Like, unless I don't know anything, but for, on Patty's side, but Patty's an awesome dude. I have good conversations with him, uh, really pulling for him. So uh, there's my there's my bet is is hopefully uh, Tampa ends up winning it all. But all right, Trumpy, good, ca- good catching up again for uh, week four of our uh, Trump and Sivret show. Follow us online yes, sir. at Rob Shrimp, at Danny Sivret, or at the Shrimp and Sivret show. Tune in next week. Love talking hockey, boys. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Shrimp and Savrette Show. Don't forget to subscribe to the Nation Network YouTube channel to watch all of our video breakdowns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 